reminds us to be hopeful, how it refreshes our hearts and guides us in our path. We thank you most of all that you did come to this earth in such a humble way and you love us that much to do so. So we pray, Father, that this Christmas season we would grasp a deeper understanding of that and that you would lead us into worship well. In Christ's name we pray. A little sick this morning. How are you guys? Um, Psalm 145, which you just heard, is a poetic sort of recounting of God's gracious and just actions that result from his character, right? And I thought it would be nice to hear it in the original language as ancient Israel would have. Um, We've been talking about in this uh, series about the exiles returning to Jerusalem to relearn how to worship God Um, in that time of Nehemiah, right? And that is a worship which requires the proper perspective of God's character. The fact is, until we can see God as glorious as that psalm conveys, we can't really approach Him in worship. Um, We must trust that He is active in our everyday affairs of life to sense His presence which that psalm conveys. Now, to better explain the role of the Psalms in the Scriptures, it's important to see how they've been put together, how they've been arranged. Uh, and this next video clar- clarifies that. Uh, uh, and, and it also teaches or talks about wh- what they endeavor to teach us through the Psalms in such a beautiful way. So take a moment and watch this one as well. <clears throat> I thought that was pretty cool. It kind of outlines a lot of what we've been talking about for this past year, really, is that, you know, the Messiah coming and, and the hope of that and, and, and God restoring the world and all kinds of things. So I thought it was a, just a good little teaching tool that, tool that we could watch. Uh, Walter Brueggemann uh, explains the Psalms resonate well with people because of the, the essential connection human beings have in the shared issues that we face, right? Uh, he points out, he says this, the Psalms, with a few exceptions, are not the voice of God, God addressing us. They are rather the voice of our own common humanity, gathered over a long period of time, but a voice that continues to have amazing authenticity and contem- contemporaneity. It, that's a hard one to say. It speaks about life the way it really is, for in those deeply human dimensions, the same issues and possibilities persist. In in other words, humans throughout history struggle with the same issues. We all do. We can still identify with the feelings and the sufferings of someone in first century Palestine or, uh, you know, uh, Jeremiah of the Old Testament or uh, with our neighbors today since our pain comes largely from human interactions, right, in the realms of things like injustice or oppression or, or evil, right, in the world, or in the internal angst of unmet desires in our own hearts or dissatisfaction or loss or our own failures and things like that. And this is why the Scriptures... Uh, including the Psalms, are timeless. They are supracultural. They rise above cultures. All cultures throughout time can relate with them. Any culture throughout time can, can uh, understand them given that they speak 
to the human condition. That's why when I was a missionary in Indonesia and I'm preaching to people of a different culture, vastly different culture than mine, different language and everything, the scriptures still speak to them because it speaks to the human heart, that thing that we all share. He argues that the connection between our lives and the layout of the Psalms can be seen in the way that humans experience life in general, right? As we read the Psalms, we are invited into a space which bears resemblance to our own situations. And he says this, he says, the Psalms mostly do not emerge out of situations of equilibrium. In other words, we're living in tension, right? Rather, people are driven to such poignant prayer and song as are found in the Psalter precisely by experiences of dislocation and relocation, all right? Being like kind of broken apart and brought back together. It, It is experiences of being overwhelmed, nearly destroyed, and then surprisingly given life that empowers us to pray and to sing. So it's a good thing when we go through hard, difficult times. We could say that the ebb and flow of suffering and joy in life enable us to sing praise to God with deep hope, right? He describes Psalm 145 as the overture to the final movement of the Psalter. The final five Psalms all echo sort of features and languages of Psalm 145, and the concluding verse in Psalm 150 uh, echoes that of Psalm 145, a psalm used frequently in Judaism and in Christianity, and the only Davidic psalm whose superscription labels it as praise, right? Psalm 145 verses 1 and 2 remind us us that God orders and sort of directs the steps of his people. Uh, The words call us to see that God is worthy to be praised in all things in verse 3. There's a great reminder that the stories of God's provision are uh, sort of an inherited estate for his people in verses 4 through 7. It emphasizes that stories must be passed down from generation to generation, right? Sharing these words in community, in in the context of church, but maybe more importantly, in the context of family, right? Pastoral preaching is good, and you should be here every Sunday to hear that stuff. But moms and dads at home reciting and teaching the words to, of, of, the, of, of the Psalms and of Scripture to their children to prepare them for the, the joys and the sorrows of life. It, it brings about a foundation. A person that has this stuff in their character, that roots it in there, they have an ability to look past their sufferings into hope into the future. The key to refocusing on the worship of God is to set our minds on his character, which the scriptures reveal. Verses 18 through, or 8 through 17 emphasize the reasons that we worship God. And as the Israelites came back from exile, they were challenged to see how God had been like working all along, even when they didn't see it. And they were called to celebrate uh, in those ways, right? So we need also, I think, to be reminded of God's working even when we've not seen it happen, and we don't th- think that we're seeing it, or we don't feel it to be happening, right? We don't address our situations as Christians uh, or as mature Christians by applying how we feel to the re- reality of our situation. Rather, we look to God's faithfulness and promises that are spoken over us. 
One pastor shares the story of a woman who came to him for counsel, and I've had this experience many times as a pastor. He writes this. He says, her tears flowed as she told her story. Her husband was distant, children rebellious. They were in debt, and she had serious medical problems. And as she told the story, he became depressed, right? He's just taking it on what she's going through, and he's feeling depressed. And she expected some sort of deep, wise counsel from her pastor, but he had none. He didn't have anything to say to her, and he couldn't see a way out for her in her situation. She had finally come to, come to the end of her story, and she looks at him mournfully with expectation that the pastor will have something to say to me. But he couldn't say what he was really thinking in his head, which was, it's hopeless. <laughs> you, you're, there's no way out for you, right? So he asked a question. And largely, he says, just to buy time, he says, tell me how you became a Christian. Tell me how you became a Christian. And surprised by the question, her face turned to contemplation. And she began to tell the story of her first time in finding Christ in her life. And as that story unfolded for her, she took on this more earnest tone and her countenance changed to conviction, right? And by the end of it, she was speaking as though she had come to testify of her love for Jesus, right? She felt better at that point, obviously, and he felt better, right? Isn't that funny? So he then asked her a second question. He said, why do you still have faith? With all you've been through, why do you still have faith? And she gave him the same con contemplative look, right? And then she began to testify about the goodness and the greatness of her Savior. And by the end of that, it was as if she was counseling him on how to keep faith during deep trials, right? Her whole countenance changed. Now, these questions obviously don't solve problems, do they? They don't. But they, they're almost foolproof in providing what an individual, individual needs the most at that time, and that is hope. Hope. They feel despair, right? They see no way out of their dilemma, and they're searching for wisdom. But even if we have solutions, which we pastors often do, they aren't in the place to receive them because they're most likely solutions that they're unwilling to take, right? Because they have, they, 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 they're solutions that, which mean they have to make major changes in their life. And usually people aren't willing to make those things. They need to move focus from problems to what Jesus has done for them. Because the truth of the matter is that we forget our first love, right? The time, the, the time that the love of the Lord was the most powerful in our lives, right? That was the most powerful experience that we'd ever known. How Jesus rescued us and gave us hope in the first place. And that's what these Psalms talk about. We've not, we've, we've not forgotten him necessarily. We're not, it's not like we're not Christians or something like that. But we continue to exercise faith. But over time, it becomes more about habit than it does about true devotion, right? Of walking with Christ. We need, and I think this is what the Sonship te course teaches us that we're all doing together in, in the church. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves over and over again daily which that, that gospel which first transfixes us and transforms us, right? Because we constantly need it. 
We're not saved and we're perfect and we continue on. We need Jesus every day, don't we? Psalm 145, 8 through 9 speaks to a common theme found in Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 and 6, when the Lord came to Moses. And it says this, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That is the truth of God's character. 145 calls the Israelites to accept that God's behavior towards them was not unique to them, right? That the promise of God's punishment upon, uh, upon the guilty in verse 20 is sort of may have, may have been a point of interest for them that are now returning from exile. They needed to know that he was just, right? That he does punish. It was a may, way of reminding them that God's compassion shouldn't, shouldn't be their only focus. But keeping in that, that in mind, it is also a great reminder of how God's compassion and his forgiveness works itself out in the lives of his people. Putting God's mercy on display, they're reminded of how God works to bring people back to him through all circumstances, bad and good, and that his approach always is to bring about his own glory and to restore the dignity to his people, right? Speaking of restoring dignity, when British troops uh, liberated Bergen-Belsen concentration camp on April 15, 1945, they discovered 40,000 emaciated prisoners and 10,000 dead bodies. And the troops were so shocked by the conditions that they, they wept themselves. They just cried. And they spent weeks bulldozing dead bodies into graves, scrubbing down survivors and burning down infected huts and things like that. And every day, 500 more prisoners were, were dying. They were perishing from their wounds and from their lack of nutrition. But little bursts of hope started to sort of filter out, through, uh, filter out in the camp, right? And one of these came by way of an anonymous shipment of lipstick, of lipstick, right? And the soldiers were first annoyed by this because they, you know, it was like useless cosmetics, they were thinking, right? But they, they needed so many other critical supplies to be brought. But they soon had a change of heart when they saw what it did. A British lieutenant colonel wrote this in his diary. He said, it was shortly after the British Red Cross arrived that a very large quantity of lipstick arrived. This was not at all what we, we men wanted. We were screaming for hundreds and thousands of other things. I don't know who asked for lipstick. I wish, I, I wish so much I could discover who did it. It was the action of genius, sheer unadulterated brilliance. I believe nothing did more for, the, for these internees than the lipstick. Women lay in bed with no sheets and no nighty, but with scarlet red lips. You saw them wandering around with nothing but a blanket over their shoulders, but with scarlet red lips. I saw a woman dead on the post-mortem table and clutched in her hand was a piece of red lipstick. At, the, at last, someone had done something to make them individuals again. They were someone no longer merely the, the number tattooed on their arm. At last, they could take an interest in their appearance. That lipstick started to give them back their humanity, right? Such a small gesture changed the lives of thousands of women on the brink of death, right? Such a small thing. And when we direct someone back to the word, when we direct people back to word and worship, 
uh, worshiping God, revealing his, God's gracious and merciful character, painting that picture from them, you know, and away from their issues, it's like giving lip, lipstick to these woman, women, right? Situations may not change that much, right? We live in a difficult time right now, I think. And situations may not change that, that much, but hope found in the scriptures like Psalm 145 are absolutely life-changing when you can meditate on them and let them seep into your bones, right? Sometimes to truly appreciate the scriptures, we need to hear them and not necessarily just read them. We're always sort of fighting for time to read, aren't we? Like, have your quiet time, get sit down, study your, study your Bible. But uh, Joshua Bailey argues that we just need to redeem the time that we have by using it to listen to Scripture. He says this, Most of the time when we listen, we don't immediately start analyzing. We don't try to break down the text because we can't see it. We simply take it in. Like the slow and steady marination of meat, we immerse ourselves in the speaker's words, trusting that our heart will, in good time, absorb its full meaning. We don't fuss over detail. We instead allow the speaker's wide-sweeping themes to seep in. Our tendency when we read is to study, right? Building understanding word by word, sentence by sentence, examining carefully, rereading, and working out context. And we investigate meaning, which is good and right. We should do that. Both acts change us, but in different ways. And we might say that reading helps us draw out of the text, while listening helps us draw into the text, right? This distinction may help us to recall the earlier followers of Christ, what they already knew about listening, and that is that having the words of God spoken over you is a life-giving practice that can deepen your faith. He points out that these times... uh, out the times in his life that he can use to listen while he does other things. He says this, I've happily discovered lots of listening time in my schedule. My 45-minute commute, my 20-minute bike ride, and hours of cleaning and errands. Autopilot moments, routine activities, little pockets of time like these allow me to dive into God's Word even when I can't open the Bible. In these moments, I feel like I'm following Paul's command in Ephesians 5.16 to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, making, every, uh, making better use of, uh, of my most precious resource, and that precious resource being the Word of God spoken over us. You know, as the re- exiles returned uh, to worship, it required them to truly em- embrace the, the true character of God. And as they retrained themselves to to read and to listen to the Scriptures, they were invited to celebrate God's faithfulness even when they hadn't, uh, hadn't been doing that before. It's a reminder that God can be trusted even in difficult times, especially as we consider the work of Jesus' redemptive work on the cross, what the Psalms we're pointing to has come about, right? That messianic king. So take the time to study, take the time to draw out of the text, have your quiet times, do that, but also use the other times, right? Take the time to just have the word spoken over you. Take it in, absorb it, allow it to draw you in. I was uh, 
backpacking in uh, Colorado on the Colorado Trail. I did about 300 miles on that trail. And I, I brought my, uh, my little AirPods or whatever they were. I forget. Uh, and and I, I was listening to the scriptures read over me. I did that for quite a while, and I loved it. Then I got nervous that a bear was going to come around the corner, and I <laughs> so I took him out. <laughs> but I, I, it, it would be good to get back to that, right? Ask Alexa to, to read the Bible to you. I was kind of worried she was going to hear me back there. Um, get a copy of the audio Bible. I have a great copy. If you want it, I, I can forward it along to you. Just ask me. But it's, it's got different voices. It's got sounds in the background. It's just like you're in, it's your, it's like you're in that moment when you're listening to it. Play it in your car. Play it while you run. Play it while you clean the house. My wife uh, listens to worship music and all kinds of things as she does uh, housework around her. And it's just, it's been really helpful uh, for her, I know. But the point is, let God speak. Because right now, there are a bajillion voices speaking into our hearts and minds. And we need more of God's word in our lives all, all the time. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that your word is alive, it is uh, useful, it, is, um, it, in, it brings wisdom, it brings discernment, it brings life, it brings hope, it speaks to us, it reveals you to us. It's like having you in the room just talking to us. So we pray, Father God, that you would increase our desire to ingest your word into our lives both by study and also just by sitting with you and listening to your voice speak over us. We thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.